Oh, hang on, hang on. I'm still reorganizing some stuff. I had to type up my general feelings about the plot. I didn't have that. Aren't you typing on wow. Sam's section? No, I don't think so. Oh, maybe Sam's typing. He's just so quiet. You can't hear uh, his keys. I'm just used to Steven's massive clickety clacks that I hey, just like, oh, wait, people look, can I type tried, like, I like normally. I try to mute, and then I forget that I'm muted. and then People cannot just sound like... Look, <laughs> just because I have a mechanical keyboard... Hold on, Steven, I'm typing. Look, just because I have a mechanical keyboard and therefore I'm better than you doesn't mean you can judge me like this. My keyboards are mechanical, but they're not made of metal only. Look, my... I, screw you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of The Problem with Reading. I'm Brevin. I'm Steven. And I'm Sam. And I'm considering redoing that intro, but with a Batman voice, but I'm not going to, to spare everyone. Uh, Steven, what are you drinking right now? Oh, I thought you were asking what I am, and what I am is thankful that you're not doing the intro with a Batman voice. But what I'm drinking is uh, a bit of sparkling water. It's, uh, uh, it's about that, sparkling water. I gotta say, that glass looks half empty. Very sad. Sam, what are you drinking? I'm drinking an old-fashioned made with... Well, actually, cut that. I don't know, Revan. What are you drinking? I'm drinking an old-fashioned with black walnut bitters. What are you drinking? So what I'm drinking. Damn, look at that. Simpatico. Uh, it, man, it is so great to have Sam back on the podcast and finally have someone with some class, some refinement, some taste. Because, oh my god, Sam, like, I don't even know if you know, but it has been an absolute desert. It has been. I think our listeners would agree with uh, nothing. No content at all. <laughs> yes. Okay. So uh, for context, we tried to record this episode, which is on the movie, The Batman, all the way back in March, at, at the end of March. And uh, then uh, our recording software broke and then finals and uh, child and various other things happened. Uh, so here we are much belated with a movie that's like basically streaming for free everywhere at this point, but we're going to review it because God damn it, we wrote up a Google doc with the outline of this episode and we are going uh to read it so oh just of all the topics we've covered like of all the really important philosophical and sociopolitical conversations that we've had i think this is the most like in advance effort that we've ever put towards any project like we've all individually done write-ups and stuff that we could write up but like this we actually took time to coordinate what we're going to do and it's batman and it's batman but it's like three months late also. (laughs) (laughs) And I mean, but it's pretty lucky. Like the one time that we bothered to plan out, we were going to say was the one time we need to do it all over again. Uh, I mean, like imagine if we were doing, you know, one of our off the cuff um, McGillicrist episodes, right? I don't, I would, I I had no idea what we said in that episode half an hour after we finished recording. Right. I mean, imagine Mm -hmm. if the recording software had broken on one of those and tragic. You're not wrong. No. All right. Uh, Well, let's get into it. (laughs) I'm not even going to bother to talk about spoilers because this movie has been out for so long. Uh, But here is a uh, just a short summary of the of the film. Uh, 2022's The Batman is the newest reboot of the Caped Crusader and dares to ask the question that every DC fan has been wondering. 
What if Batman was Edward from Twilight, but just the high school chemistry classroom scene where he's oddly grimacing as he sniffs Bella's delicious blood odor? The answer, it seems, is a simmering, sand-stuck-in-your-molars grittiness that relies exclusively on rapidly switching its score between Nirvana and Angelic Boy's choir singing Ave Maria to add gravitas to Jim Gordon reading the Riddler's clues to the audience. And now the actual summary, uh, with the aforementioned not-spoilers-spoilers. Uh, a mysterious villain who is the Riddler is murdering a bunch of Gotham elites and the mayor, the police commissioner, and DA all bite the dust. And uh, this is a relatively young Batman, only two years into his work, who is investigating this along with Jim Gordon. And he also gets involved with Catwoman. Much of the plot revolves around clues and riddles th that the Batman gets as he tries to figure out the dark secrets of Gotham the Riddler is trying to reveal. And as it turns out, it all goes back to a big drug bust and a mafia arrest and a rat that made all of the Gotham's leaders' careers. And Batman and Jim Gordon think it's the Penguin, but in the end, it's this suave gangster Falcone who runs the city from the shadows and even blackmailed and killed Batman's father. The only elite the Riddler doesn't get is Bruce Wayne, who, as the son of Thomas Wayne, is the deepest, darkest secret. And that secret is that uh, Thomas Wayne once paid off a mafia guy to intimidate a journalist who was going to publish an article about how his wife's parents were mentally ill. And so is she. And this is the dark secret at the heart of Gotham. And then the gangster killed the journalist instead and then killed Thomas when he was going to go to the police like the goody two-shoes he was. And, you know, this is the thing that is just corrupting everything uh, that, that a rich person didn't like a journalist publishing a kind of mean article about his wife's mental state and aggressively tried to get him to not. So anyway, Batman tries to arrest Falcone, but Falcone gets sniped by the Riddler and turns out he's an accountant and they arrest him. But oh no, he has one less evil plan. No one saw coming because it was not referenced at all out of nowhere where he's going to blow up the seawall and his online incel army is going to kill the new mayor, who is Alex Alexandria Cortez. And Batman gets all his ribs uh, smashed in by a shotgun point blank, but he has magic adrenaline juice and saves the day and the new mayor only gets a little bit shot. And in, in the end, New York, I mean Gotham, has been flooded, and Batman is now an honorary member of the National Guard and is helping to evacuate because he learned that he needs to inspire hope or something and not just fear and vengeance. Uh, that is the summary of the movie. Gentlemen, did I leave anything out? Uh, you left out, like, two really, really cool scenes, but that we got to see in the trailer anyway. So those were, those were really important, I feel. So you could just watch the trailer is what you're saying? In essence, yes. The trailer was very good. I mean, we all agree that, right? The trailer was yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the trailer was amazing. <laughs> the, oh, man, such a good trailer. In fact, um, I think yeah. we're going to get into the reviews eventually, but I think, like, the reason for so many positive reviews and so many fans, like, geeking out about this movie, I think it's because they all got so hyped up on the trailer and were just so reluctant to say, yeah, it, I got overly hyped up for no reason. Trailer fever, as it were. Yeah. Uh, but, gentlemen... Let's get into this. So uh, I more or less summed up this, the story there uh, completely objectively, like the good journalist that I am. Uh, but Sam, what did you make of this of this convoluted, uh, intimate detective tale that was uh, woven for us? I actually liked it. I thought it was pretty good um, story-wise. I thought the two the first two hours were really, really good. They were captivating, um, very entertaining, artful, loads of artful shots. Um, loads of interesting turns and like sure it's a detective story the turns are going to be he's going to find clues and move on to the next the next place but i i i really thought it was good i i hadn't seen a movie like that in quite some time from if ever the end did fall off significantly i thought the last probably half hour of the movie was very bad with screen slayer i mean riddler's final plan not making any sense not being um really referenced beforehand not even fitting his character um and then there was the fight that was in Madison, I mean, Gotham Square Garden, uh, that just 
was very contrived and really had no stakes. I didn't feel invested in it at all. That was bad. Um, I'm not going to try to cover that up or anything. And I, I really am interested to see like see more information about why why they felt the need to go that direction because it just didn't feel consistent with the vision that was carrying the, the rest of the movie forward. Yeah, no, uh, Sam, I agree with you pretty much there, um, except for I don't give the first two hours as much credit as you do. I, I, I think that the vision for this movie was very much, you know, the dark, gritty detective flick. Upon second reflection, once I was out of the theater, it really didn't pay that off very well. In that moment, it seemed like you were kind of going from beat to beat, from clue to clue. But then you realize that everything is just sort of being handed to you, that the, that Batman doesn't really actually figure out anything himself. It's his butler or he gets it wrong and the penguin just tells him no you're wrong and uh then when you finally get to sort of the payoff it's it's anticlimactic which was an interesting bit of writing but then instead of ending it there and actually going into like the unknown gotham of whatever happens after this you then go into an extra 40 minutes that didn't even need to be there uh where you have this massive you know almost marvel-esque giant cgi ending scene that they that they just feel the need to toss in there to up the scales because everything has been so so small stakes. They're like, oh well, actually, also there's an army of people who are gonna shoot everyone in in the city who's all in the evacuation shelter together, and the entire city's going to flood uh, instead of this actual crime drama that they were telling. And that really truly just comes out of nowhere and really disrupts a interestingly thematic but perhaps mediocre detective story whatever they have they blow it up in the final act uh but steven what do you think of this story yeah i mean i i think i lean more with brevin but i am sympathetic with sam's statement that the first half in my opinion it was fine ish uh but the riddler gave shockingly few riddles that were all like way too easily solved uh like i i felt like one of the fun things about a villain like the Riddler is we, the audience, get to kind of try to solve the mystery while, like, while we were watching Batman try to solve the mystery. Like, we get to try to piece together the things, and then when everything is revealed, we get to look back and we we get to rewatch the movie and see, oh, that's what he was talking about, and oh, that was like we get to see all the references, and everything should be like this giant interlocking puzzle. And I feel like we didn't get really any of that. It felt more like a tour of Gotham rather than the world's greatest detective taking on, like, this great serial killer or, or puzzler. Uh, you mentioned it, Brevin. It felt like, honestly, Batman had very little agency in this entire story. I, I mean, I, I use the word tour, and I kind of mean it. It just felt like we were just following Batman, going from thing to thing, and he never really did anything. I mean, you even had, like, he didn't catch the Riddler. The Riddler turned himself in. Like, Batman did not, didn't really do anything, and that, that, that it just didn't seem really fitting for a Batman movie, who which is supposed to be emphasizing his detective work. He did surprising little detecting, uh, and also like the big reveal to the mystery. This big thing that the Riddler has been setting everything up is, and get this, Gotham is corrupt. Man, we really haven't seen that idea explored of the Gotham City elite being like bad. Uh, then also annoying. I feel I like thought rich people were nice and moral and better than us. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's been the message we've been receiving for years. Uh, also annoying. I I thought the villain was in the end kind of completely wasted. The gravitas of this like mysterious seven esque jigsaw esque serial killer was robbed to get a throwaway joke about haha he's an incel. 
Um, and his army, I actually do think the army of the Riddler, and it, like even if you want to lean into the whole online presence of the Riddler and like a bunch of copycats, that could have been a really cool idea, but it was wasted in interest for a big climactic ending that they all have to gather and do this big like public shooting or what have you. Imagine if they hadn't done the big climactic ending, but now like it ends with that video, and now Batman is like looking in horror as he realizes that he's gonna now have to deal with like another hundred of these copycat killers, and he's gonna have to like they're they're all now among us, like unknown, lurking. That could have been a really cool idea, but instead, no, we need a big climactic Marvel ending. So on the whole, wasn't a huge fan. Heath Ledger's Joker made it so hard to do good Batman villains, which is that he just took and set so many standards that the Riddler is in this movie is really trying is desperately trying to find ways to be better, but then also ends up just copying or seeming derivative, even if he's not just because the, the, the Heath Ledger's Joker was such a consummate villain. Um, and, and I do think what you're saying, Stephen could have been like a really good innovation, right? Whereas the Joker has his army of, you know, in, insane followers uh, because he says he can make the voices go away. And it's like, that's like a, you know, a really horrifying concept of the mad banding together around the Joker and the Riddler could be that, but with the internet, like that's like, that's an interesting concept. But like we said, that's just wasted. They just leave it by the wayside and, and they don't really innovate with the, with the villain um, like they could. Otherwise. Which I feel like that statement you could pretty much apply to most of the Batman movie is a lot of really, really cool ideas that they just didn't really seem all that interested in exploring. Uh, like, the idea of Batman as detective rather than as superhero. I think that's a great that's a great direction. It's a really nice niche that isn't very well explored at this point uh, in kind of cin- the in the cinema universe. Uh, and it, like that that could have been great. Uh, I Al- Alfred his butler like being a lot more of a, a father figure. That was kind of a that was kind of a cool thing. Like we had a lot of really cool interesting ideas that just uh, they just seemed to leave by the way. Yeah, and instead they adopt, uh, you know, all heroes are bulletproof uh, and, you know, go around for the big third act CGI fight, mm-hmm. more or less. Uh, but let's talk about the mood. Let's let's talk about the the vision. Uh, Sam, I think you quite liked the mood and vision here. Yeah, I think that a lot of my praise about the story is probably more suited to be applied to the vision. Like, I agree with, what most, with most of what you're saying about, about the story, um, with it being like... Yeah, they're not really being anything to solve. And I don't know, I've only seen it once. And I thought about it a bit, but it wasn't like one of those movies that I dwelled on too much. So that might, I mean, that probably proves the point. The story wasn't that um, impactful. But I did love the overall vision here. Um, I liked how it was trying to be dark, but it was doing the whole dark, gritty Batman thing in a very different way than the Nolan trilogy did. Um, it was dark, but it wasn't trying to be realistic at all. It didn't feel realistic at, um, anywhere near as, as, as close to um, as Nolan's was. Um, and it tried to stay small. I get that it blew up at the end, and that's we don't need to talk about that. That's, that's bad. But um, I think it stuck the very end pretty well. I like the landing at the end. Basically, everything after he um, he jumps, he gets up out of the water. Um, so like whatever the last three minutes or whatever, he realized it and the message about what it means to be a hero and trying to nuance the complicated nature of being both vengeance and fear, but also more than that and how that's going to require change in the future. There are two more movies being that were authorized to be made. So I'm really interested to see where those movies take it. And at the end of this movie is anything, um, with anything else that's looking towards a brighter future for Gotham, which will be really interesting to see Batman helping rebuild Gotham in a positive 
and brighter direction instead of continuing to fall into more and more darkness like we've seen in previous movies. Um, I would ask, uh, and again, just because I'm not sure where else to put this, is what kind of standard we're holding the movie to. Um, I think if we're comparing against like any Marvel movie or any standard superhero movie that you see, I think it's really great. I think it holds up excellently. Um, it's definitely not as good as Dark Knight, and I don't think that we need to go there. But I think it could be um, competitive against the other two Nolan movies, Batman Begins and The Dark Knight Rises. I think we could have a conversation about it against those, at least in terms of um, overall story direction and definitely art style. So I guess I would just I just ask to make sure that we're clear about what we're comparing it against, because I think it, in the grand scheme of where cinema is today, which is dismal, um, this is this is a good move. It's a good step in the right direction. Rado, what do you guys think? Sure, I, I I think you're right that if we're comparing it it up against a boilerplate Marvel, you know, just one of their standards. I mean, they they have a quality control that's you know very mediocre to entertaining, um, but nothing super special. Like that's most of the Marvel movies, really. Then there are you know three or four that are like really good out of you know the twenty five that they've made, uh, thirty that they've made at this point. Um, in terms of Batman movies, I think you're probably right. Dark Knight is always going to be the best. Um, I don't know about Dark Knight Rises. Uh, Batman Begins, I'd, I'd definitely be willing to entertain that this is better. But I haven't seen Batman Begins in a while. And, and, and Sorry, this is because I haven't seen Batman Begins in a while. And I feel like when I think about it, I if I want to think that it's good, I have to reconcile how like quasi-goofy the movie is sometimes. Um, just with the, I don't know clan of ninjas is just kind of a silly concept uh almost uh to to do this but whatever it's it's a dc and it's sort of at odds with like the more realism of, of the dark knight like it they really bring it down a notch into the into a i don't know once again it's the grittiness that matters right you know it's all about the grit and batman begins is more fantasy than 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 grit uh but as for the batman the batman the movie that we have just watched a lot of the mood, I think, is 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 ruined by the story um, being bad. But that's only once you think about it. In the moment, it looks really good. The 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 the, the car chase, even if you realize post hoc that it's actually a bad car chase, it, it has those one or two amazing shots that you're like, wow, that's you know, that's that's the money right there. Um, the d- detective aesthetic is 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 fun to have the mood of like the sinister searching, and then you realize, oh wait, but the search is like dumb and. Batman is just led everywhere that the Riddler wants him to go and never actually goes like he's he's never one step ahead, not a single time. The thing that I do appreciate about the mood is that it tried to be tight. It tried to have a smaller scale. And that was a good, cool concept. Batman as detective and leaning into that, not making him into just another bulletproof superhero um, uh, would have been a good thing. And they do that pretty well for the first bit. Uh, but then as we've noted, they blow it up in the final act. Uh, the one other thing I think that the mood uh, sort of that the vision for this movie did very well was showing a younger, more immature Batman. And there's two t- two scenes that really highlight that. One is when he's about to jump uh, to escape the police and he hesitates and he's hyperventilating and he's afraid as he's, you know, zipping together his, uh, his flight suit, which is much less sci-fi and much more closer to real life uh, than, than the Nolan movies were, um, is that, you know, he's, this is his first time doing this. He's, he's terrified that he's just going to hit the ground. And uh, although he should not have survived his, his landing, it did highlight, uh, you know, a Batman who is only two years into his tenure and can't just fearlessly lift off, uh, leap off of buildings. The other one is when he's with Catwoman 
and just sort of the constant Edward Bella esque um, <laughs> simmering romance where you know uh, he just can't decide if he wants to do detective work and throw batarangs or if he wants to think about women. And he's just he he seems very confused and afraid of women. And it's like you know what a younger immature Batman. B- billionaire who lives alone like that's believable i can get that that's a good little fun fun quirk is like what if batman was actually just horrible with the ladies uh and uh that's a is a great i mean i thought that was a fun contrast to to um christian bale's batman playboy batman right Mm -hmm. yep yep. um on that subject brevin what did you think of what do you think of uh angsty journaling batman what did you think (laughs) of that bit Angsty. I like. I personally liked it. I thought it was interesting to see him like try trying to hang on to hit, to what he saw in the night and trying to remember it and do it right and frantically writing everything down, even if it did come off as just like brooding journaling. You I think? don't hate it. The problem is, is that he it just becomes derivative of uh, Watchmen, uh, and I mean, you know, the that character whose name I'm forgetting, Stephen Helby Rorschach. Rorschach is meant to be, you know, a parody of Batman and Batman in this movie ends up being a parody of of Rorschach. So that Rorschach, whatever. So that just is, is a bad look. It's it's not bad in concept. It's just because of the field that it's entering into, it ends up being a bad look. Uh, But Steven, do you have thoughts on that? I haven't seen Watchman, so. It's, it's well worth it. I would say, especially the comic. And then I honestly forget how good the Watchman movie was, but I know there are mixed reviews, but I thought it was fine. Um, okay, so first two thoughts uh, regarding uh, them doing a really good job at not making Batman like the bulletproof superhero. They did a great job doing that until they literally made him a bulletproof superhero where like guards were firing Uzis from two feet from him and the bullets were just bouncing off, which cool shot, really, really cool shot, but like removed all the like stakes from it. It's like, okay, bullets just bounce off this guy. Well, all right. Uh, and then regarding uh, Christopher Nolan trilogy, strong disagree on the two movies that you brought up as um, potentially competing. I would say Dark Knight Rises, th- the Batman would probably be better. I-, I thought Dark Knight Rises was terrible. Batman Begins, I recall a moment where I'd watched The Dark Knight a couple t- times and decided to watch Batman Begins again. And I was shocked at how good it was. Like, I think the only reason we don't talk about Begins as much as we do Dark Knight is because Dark Knight was just that good uh because begins i i thought did a great job at setting him up but in any case uh my own take on it on the overall um kind of mood atmosphere vision i thought in general had great cinematography and excellent visuals and i mean i think that's something that everyone can kind of get on board with um it had some good fight scenes acting on the whole i don't think i had an issue with anyone's acting uh i would say that and this is this criticism is going to get applied to pretty much the movie industry in general right now it's mastered its technical craft and um quite like a few movies in the past five years or so uh the technical elements of fight scenes cinematography cgi special effects etc etc are spot on they're gorgeous however this alone does not make for good cinema and it needs a plot story which we've already criticized i mean look but look at the movie industry in general like star wars 8 9 green knight hobbit all of these you can't criticize their technical aspects it's just they don't know what to do they don't know what to do with it which is really kind of an unfortunate irony that we have all the technical aspects and none of the storytelling i feel like i would trade indiana jones's maybe not as good technical elements of like cinematography or special effects or what have you but it knew how to tell a good story although i think you could apply the crit i've heard this 
somewhat tongue-in-cheek uh, criticism of like Indiana Jones accomplishes nothing in Indiana Jones. He just kind of goes from <laughs> one piece to another, which I find very amusing. Um, yeah, I mean, like on, on the whole, I thought they did, did a good job uh, with the mood, with the vision. Um, but yeah, I, it just they couldn't capitalize on it. But I will, I will give praise in this direction. All right. Uh, next, uh, the final uh, portion of our movie analysis is the music. And we'll start with myself and then uh, trend, trend upwards uh, to, to Steven and then to Sam, who has only good things to say. Uh, but for myself, I thought the music was posturing uh, in, in a word. The score really annoyed me. The attempts at the atmosphere, it just didn't earn it. It tried to create it using music and songs that had gravitas on them, specifically Ave Maria, to try to give their scenes which lacked um, depth and, uh, you know, just a, a strong atmosphere organically. They tried to glom it on by, you know, almost being like a, a parasite on, on these classic songs. Nirvana twice and Ave Maria three times. Uh, and for, And again, there's no compelling reason why Ave Maria was used in these situations. They really just shoehorned it in with the orphan Riddler being a choir boy or something. But like I said, it's just because the music has more depth and meaning than the, than the movie. So they just vampirically uh, suck off of it to try and create more depth in their movie than they actually earn in their scenes. Uh, Steven, what do you think? May, maybe not quite as harsh as you, but on the whole, I agree. I would say meh. Uh, Nirvana and like two notes composed 90% of the soundtrack uh, and they just hit those notes over and over and over again and at first it's really cool and you're like yeah this is awesome and then after the second hour and especially after the third hour you're just like this is this is getting old this is this is not great and so if it had more variety I think I would have been like yep solid soundtrack it just didn't which I would contrast to the Nolan trilogy and man some of those I mean, that, that was Hans Zimmer at some of his finest work. Like, I, I mean, I can think of the, the, the soundtrack to this day, and it just sends chills up my spine. Uh, so, so yeah, not impressed. Steven, I mean, I, agree, I actually agree with you there. And you, you might have, uh, I mean, the variety was, was probably lacking in this movie. But do you want to know how many notes were in the main, were in the main theme of the Nolan Batman? It was two. <laughs> you're, okay, so you're not wrong. I think it was primarily... No, no, you're right. That was Begins and Dark Knight. Both had those two big notes, but it had so much variety and so much riffing on those those two primary. And they like it just had such a wider variety that it could work. And when you heard those two notes, it felt much more like uh, like a like the climax or like or not even a climax. It felt just much more like a, a big punch versus sure. this was you just getting hit with the two notes over and over again until it just meant nothing. Sure, but, I mean fair point. Yeah, I think. Zimmer, I mean, it was it was those two notes, and he kind of runs them through a bunch of different ways of looking at them and rhythm. He plays a lot more with rhythm than um, I don't even know who composed this soundtrack actually, but um, I liked it overall. I I, um, I mean, not surprising. I've been the most positive so far, but um, but I actually thought the choice of Avi Maria to represent the the orphan Riddler was was interesting. I thought it was I thought it um, connected back to him early on in a way that I didn't fully understand why it, why it was played with him, but it felt right. And then in the end of the movie, I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Now I get it. Um, so I didn't mind that. I do think they probably played it once too much. But Nirvana, I didn't mind. Granted, I'm speaking as like 
I, as a major Nirvana fan, I've, I've loved Nirvana for years. Um, but I liked how most of the rest of the soundtrack was based on the song "Something in the Way" by Nirvana. All all the all the other motifs can be drawn back to the chord progression or the melody of that song, which I thought was really cool. I I, I um I'm used to seeing to hearing like classic rock songs in movie trailers, which is like all people play in movie trailers these days. Um, separate rant and separate problem. And I, I saw that in the trailer. I'm like, well, that's awesome. That's a cool remix. Too bad they're not going to actually use it in the movie. Um, and they did. And I was really happy with that. So that was cool. I thought it was an important cultural touchstone, especially given that um, Matt Reeves said that he wanted to um, he wanted to inject a bit of the, the Kurt Cobain, Cobain archetype into, into this version of Batman. So I thought it was fitting. I thought it was good. Did get repetitive. Um, that might also be because the movie was just a little bit too long. And I wonder how it would have felt if they had pared it down and then fixed the ending. I'm not sure if we would have been feeling like it was as bad. I'm not sure if you would have been feeling like it was as bad if they had done that. That is a, that is a fair point. But anyway, gentlemen, this movie, so full of angst, so full of darkness, so full of nirvana. There's only one way that we can properly rank this movie, and that is rating it in out of five cigarettes. Uh, put out on one's forearm. Uh, Steven, how many cigarettes does this movie warrant? Two cigarettes. Uh, it had some really cool ideas. It had a few little nuggets that, that I will unironically praise, but the lackluster plot, the lack of gravity, failure to capitalize on those cool ideas, and the villain just put those three cigarettes right out. I'm relying on the two to shock some uh, some sense into me. Well, Steven, I, I think your summary of the movie... Uh, you could have taken it right out of my mouth, but uh, I will take the cigarettes out of my own mouth, two of them, and put them out on my forearm for two cigarettes for this movie. Sam. Ew. We talked about this before we were recording, and I still don't understand exactly what the cigarettes are supposed to represent. I took it as the more cigarettes you put out on your arm, the more you just need to burn yourself to feel something, just anything, anything at all. So if we're using that perspective of more cigarettes being worse, then I'm going to say one sig it was only bad enough to justify one and i'll tell you when it was um there was one moment and i would take the cigarette and press it into my arm from the moment that he pulled out his superhero video game steroid until he pulled the flare out in the middle of the flood arena and it would be pressing there and burning because i need something to distract me from that everything else I, it was never the point where i needed where i needed that you know, it, it's mixed. It's not great. The ending's not good. Parts drug on, but it was never bad enough to justify that, um, except for that portion. I don't know. Did I take the one cigarette correctly or incorrectly? If it's if, if five cigarettes is good, then I'd give it probably a three. But all right, well, there you go. I'm tempted to like try to explain or like try to get us all to sync up, but I kind of like the ambiguity, honestly. It's you know, it's much like the film. You know, it's just ambiguous and and angsty, just how we like it. All right. Well, we have uh, two right. more little things to hit on here. Uh, first off, uh, Sam, you had some 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 poignant observations about Gotham and uh, the idealization and fictionalization of the American city. Yeah. So um, this started when I was uh, Brevin and I were texting back and forth, and he was commenting on Gotham being being New York, and yes, completely. Like completely agree, Gotham is a new as a nickname for New York City, but we've seen it portrayed in many different ways throughout um, 
throughout the uh, uh, films. So like Nolan's Gotham was very much a Chicago-based Gotham. It was filmed mostly in Chicago and I believe Cleveland, I think. Cleveland or Cincinnati, some other weird Midwest city. But um, And it had much more of a Chicago feel than a New York feel. And so it was fun to have this one back in back in New York and very much um, obviously representing New York City. Um, there was actually one moment during the movie, which I was watching um, at the AMC on Broadway and 14th Street when, uh, or I don't sorry, cut this because if anybody's from New York's going to listen to this, they're going to hate it. Um, watching it at the, broad, the AMC on like Broadway and 19th Street. And um, there's a scene like three minutes in where they flash to a to an intersection that looks just like Times Square. And it's a very serious scene. And the entire theater bursts out laughing, um, which was awesome. Um, but on, on to the city. Um, yeah, I had a problem with this because of the, it's, it's, well, okay. Sorry, back up, gather my thoughts. In, in DC, as far as I can tell, um, Gotham is where they just kind of put all the bad stuff of the American city. And Metropolis is seen as the shining, perfect ideal of the American city. And my problem with this is that you see either the, the bright, shining, perfect American city, or the city is crime-ridden, grim, uh, corrupt, gritty, all that. And um, so I'm less familiar with Superman's lore, so I'll stick with Gotham here. But I think that portraying the city in one of these two ways really harms the idea of what an actual city in America is. Um if you look at a map of Gotham City, and there are many attempts to make a map of city uh, of Gotham, there are it basically takes all the most interesting and iconic parts of um, of Manhattan, crams them into the few parts of Brooklyn that somebody might know, puts it on the one big huge island, and then multiplies the population by two. And that's just not how cities work. It just doesn't make any sense. And I know I've been praising this movie for its um, detached bit of realism in the art department and the design. But no city works this way. And most of, of the real Gotham is pretty boring, pretty bland, and it's excellent. Those are the best parts of it. And so I think that we need to get away from this idea of looking at the, uh, in, our, in, in the superhero movies, only focusing on this fictionalized, idealized version of the city and get back to what actually makes them great. Anyway, there's my, there's my little take on urbanism. All right. Well, that, uh, that actually puts in mind, I uh, remember the, the John Calhoun article that we reviewed. Oh, this was probably two years ago or so, the, uh, the Rats of Nim one. And uh, apparently in that article, there's, there's a, um, it's like some politician is quoting, I think Chicago or no, it's not, it's not a politician. I think politician is criticizing some actual city. But apparently, like, the writers of Batman were like, oh, yeah, no, like, that's kind of what we're trying to model with Gotham. It's a behavior behavioral sink, which is the term that Calhoun used with uh, Razzardim. But uh, speaking of horrifying things, Stephen has shown us the some, the review of reviews he has cooked up uh, to give us a meta-commentary on this, the Batman movie. Uh, so, Stephen, I do believe it is your wheelhouse. Uh, take us... On a ride. Oh, absolutely. So I think we were commenting earlier on Rotten Tomatoes review section and how it was roughly 85% positive. And that actually maps pretty well to the reviews. I tried to get a pretty broad swatch of different reviews. And I was actually, personal sensibilities aside, or given my personal sensibilities, I was fairly surprised that most of them are positive. And so I tried to get a broad swatch. Let's, uh, let's see what different people had to say. <clears throat> Chris Stuckman. I uh, could not stop praising the movie. He really appreciated the small touches, uh, like Wayne having makeup around his eyes when he took off the mask. 
Uh, he thought it was a good move, adding a blot to the Wayne family history, making Bruce wrestle with the thing that inspired him to become Batman in the first place. Uh, the interactions between the police and Batman, he also thought, were very true to form. And lastly, he really appreciated the transition Batman made from attempting to terrify populations staying away, into staying away from crime to giving them a beacon of hope. About the only thing he wasn't a huge fan of was the scene between the Riddler and the Joker, or whoever that was. He was intrigued by the scene, but he said it felt very contractually ob obligatory, like he had, like they had to set up the next movie or the next villain or what have you, and he was kind of annoyed by that. Next up, we have Jeremy Johns. Uh, he liked it for the most part. Uh, he felt that while Penguin, Catwoman, and the city of Gotham felt very true to form, Batman and the Riddler both felt a little too quote-unquote realistic, as in too much like someone trying to imagine what someone running around an alley and beating up bad guys would actually look like in real life, rather than something mythic. He thought the Riddler was a bit too eccentric, and he wanted to see more Alfred. Uh, he felt that that was too much in the background. Uh, on the other hand, I, I, I didn't write this down, but I think this was the same guy that said this. He did say that he was actually afraid for Alfred's life, because Alfred was so much in the background, that when, when there was an explosion and ostensibly Alfred was killed, he actually had a moment where he was afraid that Alfred died. And so that, that did kind of allow that feeling to to occur which is good uh he as well is not very sold on another joker he feels that we've seen too much joker recently and on the whole he said that he expects reactions will be either you love it or you like it and he can't imagine people hating it he is wrong uh as we will soon see captain midnight thought it was excellent but not without its flaws uh he appreciated the performance of pattinson saying that he felt it, it felt like bruce wayne was a mask that batman wore that certainly was not the first take that any actor had had on batman but this felt more raw and troubled it felt like actual trauma had taken place and apparently pattinson had is quoted in saying that while there wasn't a parental death scene he was attempting to play their deaths in every scene that bruce wayne showed his face in which i thought was a really cool take and i, I hadn't heard on heard that uh, it reminded him of Night Owl in Watchmen, uh, which is interesting because in a, a few reviews, we'll see that it reminded them of another character from Watchmen. Uh, and he thought the performance of Riddler really worked in this film, even if it deviated from the comic. A uh, bit too much time was spent on the Penguin stuff and wished that we seen more Riddler and his plan coming together. The Thomas Wayne reveal really wasn't all that effective. And on the whole, he thought it was a worthy addition. We're halfway through. through. We're almost there, sort of, halfway. Uh, critical Drinker, uh, his thoughts were very mixed. He liked some of it, disliked others. It was nice to see the world's greatest detective doing some actual detective work. He's not just a brawler. He's actually really smart. Although at times his intelligence seems to go right out the window. Like when he's standing right next to a bomb that he knows is about to go off. Uh, he, on the whole, thought the film was too long. Uh, he thought Pattinson's performance of Bruce Wayne was kind of bland. Um, and that was fine that they didn't want to do a billionaire playboy version of Wayne. But... Uh, they still needed more than a mopey and boring character, which he felt that that was. I do just uh, want to note that I noticed what you did there. The Critical Drinkers review was mixed. Hey! Um, yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad you like that. Uh, on the whole, he thought it was about a half hour too long, three mediocre endings instead of one satisfying ending. But on the whole, he liked it and thought that it was taking the superhero genre, 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 genre in a refreshing new direction. I... Uh, now moving on, to, so that was that was the first like middling, not giving unlavish or lavishing praise upon it. Now we're getting to the the more negative. Uh, David Shen, he thought it was a bit of a mess. He didn't like it very much. It did look incredible, and that, that is one thing I should emphasize that pretty much every single review could not stop talking about stop talking about how great it looked. Even the negative reviews were all like, "Yep, this thing looked amazing." Uh, so the visuals were excellent, the sets were great, Gotham was gorgeous, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. The casting was excellent. Uh, he thought the tone of the film was way too dark, like they were trying to one-up the Nolan trilogy. 
and it had a border on self-parody. Uh, similar to Captain Midnight, the one review I mentioned, who likened him to Night Owl, he compared this take on Batman to, to the character from Watchmen, Rorschach. Brevin mentioned this. Uh, this isn't a good thing because, as Brevin said, Rorschach is an intentional satire of, of Batman. In, in Alan Moore's opinion, the, the, the writer of uh, Watchmen, it's a realistic version of Batman that would be much more closer to a sociopath. He really disliked the storytelling as- aspect. Uh, tons of super important plot points happened off camera, which resulted in a bunch of characters just talking about stuff that happened in the past or off camera, which is made more frustrating when we, the audience, don't even know who to believe, given that some characters are found to be unreliable. On the whole, he didn't think it was all great. And last, finally, we have the one, the only, the purely unbiased, facts-oriented, feelings-bereft Ben Shapiro. And he started out very excited. And as the movie went on, he got less and less impressed. Then after, the more he thought about it, the more angry he got. I suspect this happens a lot to him. He hated the movie. Admitted that it was a gorgeous movie, perfectly shot, and had a great aesthetic. Music was fine, acting was fine. But his main take is that the film hates Batman. Unlike other films, e.g. the Nolan films, which give good reason for why Wayne must take on the role of Batman. There's corruption, no one else is going to do this, money won't fix the problem, etc., etc. In this film, it's never made clear why he's doing this. Moreover, while previous movies have understood that Bruce is the mask that Batman wears, this movie doesn't do that well at all. The climax of the movie is pretty much Batman realizing that he shouldn't be fighting criminals, but that he should be doing relief work. It's almost a defund the police attitude. The move of making the implicit claim that there's no difference between Batman and the Riddler is a bad one. The fact that Batman didn't contribute at all to actually finding the Riddler, and the Riddler turned himself in, was a bit ridiculous. Okay, I have to agree with him on that one. Uh, On the whole, it felt like sellout. 100 million was given to Matt Reeves, who hates Batman, to make a Batman movie. It's still better than Marvel, though. And that is all the reviews I reviewed. Wow, way to get out there and do that that shoe leather work that we on the Problem with Reading podcast uh, so... So rarely do. Uh, but after, you know, all of that, all of that reviewing, all of that uh, reviews of reviews, uh, you know, that can get you worked up. That can get you mad. That can uh, get you in the mood for a rant. Uh, Sam, what do you got for us? Yeah, so I've replaced my original rant that I did two months ago with a little bit more recent one. That's by now outdated. So two rants have been outdated, which is pretty impressive. But I'm going to keep with this rant, and that is the phenomenon of um, Elon Musk and Twitter. I mean, I don't really care that much. Like, I'm not on Twitter. I was on for a little bit, and it's just awful. So I got off it because it's really, like, no one is actually on Twitter. It's just, it's a very small set of people who think that Twitter is the entire world, but it isn't. Um, And so, like, Musk buying Twitter is like, okay, that's kind of funny. Um, Do it for the memes, I guess. But... On the subject of Ben Shapiro, Stephen, what is, I mean, I mean, it's it's irrelevant now. He stopped, but like, what is it? I mean, it it it, it seemed like some kind of love affair was going on here, based on the way he was talking about him on like Facebook and 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 uh, social media. I just don't even understand. Um, it was like the idea that that somebody is unhappy about this or somebody thinks that he won't manage it well is just like completely the most amazing thing that's ever happened in like all of these right-wing commentators' minds. It just, it's strange to me. And I'm looking at these, like, generally, I mean, some people who I would hope would be at least somewhat, I don't know, would give somewhat, uh, I don't know, superficial defense of, like, traditional views of, I don't know, conservatism. I look at them and I'm like, he's not one of us. Like, this man has been married, I don't know how many times, three times, had multiple kids out of wedlock, clearly has no really guiding ethical framework 
um, is extremely humanist and thinks that science can save us all. He's not one of us. And you pretend like he's the greatest thing that's ever happened to humanity. And he's going to save us by buying Twitter. Where really, as far as I can tell, the only thing that he does is kind of brood around the office and be awkward. And nothing's really changed other than that. And now he's talking about not actually going through with the sale. So just calm down. And if you need to, if you must, at least get a room. That actually puts in mind, uh, was it Charles Taylor or our review of Charles Taylor where pretty much you get like three different camps. You get like progressivism, conservative Christianity, and then like Nietzsche or like, uh, like uh, yeah, well, Nietzscheism. And pretty much like two of them will always be lying against the first. And that's what this feels like is like Christianity being like, oh, well, he might be a maniacal sociopath, but maybe he'll be our maniacal sociopath. Yeah, I, I, like I, I can understand the uh, like the the optimism, right? If you if you think that people are getting unfairly you know, canceled from Twitter and are being silenced and you think it's important they be able to talk on this dumb platform. Um, that's fine. Hold that position that maybe he'll make free that he'll he'll be a champion for free speech. That's great. But I don't know. The language that's being used crossed to a to a whole new realm of of um adoration that is not usually fit for public um for for the for the, for the public space. Well, speaking of the public space, uh, my rant is about political commentary in Batman. And uh, while I think that political commentary movies can be useful if done well. Uh, unfortunately, when it's done bad, it can be extremely cringeworthy. And the Batman has political commentary of the extremely cringeworthy variety, both for the reason that some of it is just so banal and sophomoric and others because it's insensitive. It manages to do all of it all at once. Uh, for example, the opening scene of a gang chasing down an Asian American man to sucker punch him evokes many and very recent unprovoked attacks that have happened in the real world. And the movie just kind of does this and then glosses over it without a second thought. It's like, okay, you have now evoked this very uh, relevant political image, and now you're just going to walk away from it as if nothing ever happened, as if there was no point to it. You don't try and do anything with it. It just seems unnecessary. And then take that in a more banal direction with Catwoman's black burglar hat doing nothing to hide her identity, but doing a lot to look like the Women's March pussy hats for, again, no discernible reason to then never to be referenced or looked at again. Or the throwaway line about rich white males needing to pay or something, uh, which is perfect because also Falcone is obviously like Italian or Sicilian who weren't even you know, Italians weren't white until the, the 40s or something, a year or so, or, I've, or so I've been told. That's just perfect because their whole conversation, uh, which all happens on a rooftop, is just a textbook example of horrible writing. And the, and the political commentary just feeds into that. The whole conversation is just a giant cliche. It, it starts with, uh, I guess we're not that different after all. And I need your help. And then at the end, it's I can handle myself. And that's the point is that the messages that the Batman tries to shoehorn in are trite and they're signaling only in, in the sense that there's no substance actually behind them. They're pointing to something, but what they're pointing to is either a, a sensitive subject like the random attacks or it's so passe and unlinked to anything, to any real content that is just meaningless. And I'm not saying that politics shouldn't be in movies or that or anything like that, but rather that if you are going to have politics in movies, to try to please just do it intentionally. Don't insult your viewers and, uh, you know, try and press hot button issues, you know, just to give people a little treat. It does not do uh, anyone favors. Stephen. Man, that was a really dark and gritty rant that you gave. And so... Uh, not not turn up Stephen's rant. Uh, I had a valid transition! Oh, can you do it in a second? <laughs> Go for it. 
Uh, no, I was just going to say, like, yes, there's political commentary, but the worst political commentary on this movie that I saw shot down was in the, uh, the New York Times, where they were interviewing Matt Reeves, director of the movie, and they were asking him about, like, the images and the commentary, and he's like, well, you know, we're working on trying to pull on, you know, pull out a different perspective on Batman and all that, and they're like, okay, but the ending scene with the group of online, like, warriors fighting out against the establishment, did you consider cutting that after January 6th? And like, you know, how did you feel about this with, with, you know, with the parallels? And he's like, and he just, he just shuts it down immediately. He's like, we really didn't think about it. Like we were all sad about that, but the move, the script was already written and we were already well in the production when it happened. So it was like, okay, well, whatever. It definitely wasn't a reference there. And then she's like, okay, well, well, like, did you think about being maybe more sensitive? And he's like, no, it's, it's a different, it's a fictional situation. It's very different. So at least there's that. Okay. At least there's that. We got that. I mean, the movie would have been better had he cut it, even if for the wrong reasons, but good for him. <laughs> Time was right. Oh, no, oh man, that yeah. hurts to say. Uh, that hurts to say. Yeah, it kind of leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Kind of like there's sand or some other kind of grit. I don't know. Steven, you have something oh, there? Oh, man, it's re- it really is kind of gritty, and uh, it's getting late. And that- so uh, my, my rant is more of amusing on why dark and gritty is becoming the new in vogue genre. In particular, applied to Batman. I mean, I've seen many jokes that are very relevant about, like, in 40 years, the new Batman movie will come out and it'll just be, like, a blank screen with, like, a single piercing note playing in the background. In general, most of our movies seem to be going down this path. In fact, uh, I I recently saw the, um, the new Doctor Strange movie, which, incidentally, don't see it. It's awful. But it is, for Marvel, it is shockingly dark. Uh, it is shockingly dark and gritty and it, it very outside of Marvel's wheelhouse in a way that as much as I'm eager to see Marvel start breaking out of its kind of cliche cookie cutter stuff, it was almost kind of horrifying to see what was once more of a feel good, like, yeah, go save the cheerleader, save the world sort of vibe to like, no, this is actually getting kind of dark and weird. It seems that the movie industry on the whole is tending in this direction. And while I think there is certainly space for that, I think you do need a, a set of stories that 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 have this this vibe. I think horror has a has actually a very important place within society. It, it, it can kind of it can shock you out of your complacency. It can prepare you to encounter the horrors of everyday life, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But everything shouldn't be horrifying. Everything shouldn't be dark and gritty. As an anecdote and an antidote for this. I would actually suggest the movie that deals with a very heavy, very dark subject, but does it in a life-giving and beautiful way, A Hidden Life by Terrence Malick, which I recently saw a couple weeks ago, and my goodness, is it beautiful. It deals with the horrors of uh, of Nazis impressing people into service and a man wrestling with his conscience and trying to figure out what he should do with the fact that he thinks Hitler is evil and that the Nazi party is evil, but that if he should resist if that he if she he should turn down his inscription that he'll be executed and leave behind his family that needs him and it it does so in for such a dark topic it does it in a light and graceful way and i i'm just stunned by this and it's proof that good stories can be told on heavy issues but not down this ever spiraling sense of dark and gritty and depraved etc etc all right uh and with that I do believe. Oh. I do have a game for you guys, if we have time. Oh, no. This is, I, uh, I, have, t- I have completely lost control. Steven, what are we playing? Oh, okay. So when I was at uh, a different 
dark and gritty movie called The Northman, which I'm still deciding if I'd recommend that. I'll get back to you guys. But I saw a trailer, a very intriguing trailer. And I want, I'm going to set the, the stage for it. I'm going to describe the trailer. And then I'm going to ask you guys to guess the title or at the very least what it's about. And I have a hint if you guys need. So pay careful attention. Opening shot. View of a bright green forest out of a dark tunnel. The tunnel has some water in it, and in the reflection we see 824. It's raining and we hear thunder. Cut to a young woman walking in said bright green forest. She happens upon the tunnel and stares into it. Shouts out a single note, and we hear it echoing as the camera zooms in on her, the dark tunnel looming before her. Cut to her walking through an old stone masonry church. The note is still echoing as she approaches a stone baptismal font in front of the altar with a strange face carved upon it. Cut to a close-up on this face. The light fades out and we see from Alex Garland. Cut to the young woman in the backyard of the church. It is night and she sees a man under an apple tree. She asks, what are you doing here? The light flickers, he disappears, and we hear a child scream. The note is still echoing. Sinister music bellows a low note as she looks terrified and whispers, what the fuck? Cut to the tree, still at night. All the apples start falling off of it. Title card, writer director of Ex Machina. Note still echoing. Cut to the woman now leaving the church, same night walking down a path. She sees a figure stalking about in the churchyard. We hear another scream, and the note continues to echo. She looks at him, disturbed, and takes a step back. Cut to her taking a step back in a red entryway, staring terrified at the door, when a hand reaches through the mail slot. She screams, then shouts, Why are you doing this? As a man's eyes look through the mail slot, the note is still echoing. Cut back to the tunnel. She's inside it now, and looking to the other side. A figure walks into view, silhouetted by the green forest. The note that has been echoing is now distorted into a harsh shout, and she begins running as the figure enters the tunnel out of sprints. Cut to the title card. What is the title? Men. Yes! The most horrifying thing. <laughs> I kid you not, I just started It's about men. Mm-hmm. I need to go watch this immediately, apparently. My favorite YouTube comment in this, uh, it, it, like going to the YouTube for this trailer, is finally the Children of Men prequel I've been waiting for. <laughs> Nice. <sighs> you know, I, I, I saw a trailer actually just two days ago um, when uh, we went to see a movie, an A24 movie, actually. And I've, I've seen very few of those. But um, this was uh, every everything, everywhere, all the time. And that's a great movie. That was wonderful. But mm. uh, no, it was very strange. Very strange movie. Men, the dark and green reboot. Men, yes. yes. Men like you've never seen them before. <laughs> I, was, I was hoping, like, after I saw that trailer, honestly, really good trailer like it i don't like horror um like i I don't like horror movies and it made me kind of want to see it until i saw the title card and even then i walked out of the theater and like went to go look up the actual non-teaser trailer to be like no maybe it's gonna be more artistic like maybe they're not trying to make some political commentary or what have nope the main trailer it's very ham-fisted like nah men are awful like insert every cliche stereotype about how men are awful to this young woman It, it yeah, I it, Hollywood has jumped jumped the shark, or at least A twenty four has, and that's that's about all I got. That's I like it. it. I'm 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 just in shocked uh, silence. I have nothing to add. <laughs> uh, uh, well, uh, with that, I do believe the men of this podcast will be washing the sand out of our teeth and uh, returning to our evening. So for everyone here at the problem with reading podcasts. Uh, I'm Brevin. I'm Steven. And I'm Sam. And uh, the real friends are the Batman we made along the way. The Batmen. Men.
I, I, I actually want to go watch this trailer like right now. <laughs> no, you should. Can you can you like live stream it so I can yeah, hear your reaction yeah. along with it? I mean, in a theater, it's it's actually kind of kind of creepy for a second. Oh, absolutely. No, I, I actually I really meant it. I thought the incredibly well done. Uh, like it looks it looks excellent. All right, here we go. And then the title card. It's like, what the frick? I'll turn the volume here. I also at first got very Chronicles of Narnia vibe from this. Yeah. No, no, I see what you mean. Oh, this is a different trailer than the one I saw. The one I saw started very peacefully. Oh, I think I know which one you're talking about. But it's a man. <laughs> what? <laughs> it's so nice. good. Honestly, it no. It was way okay. worse than the trailer that I saw. No, you know what this movie is? This is just a movie about anxiety, about a post-COVID world, and like having to interact with people. It's like, why are you within 20 feet of me? Oh my god, it's another person moving in the distance. I, this is terrifying. That's that's all this is. is this just I like, really hope it's actually a commentary on COVID. That would make me so happy. She's she's just I afraid that, that other people exist. That's the that's the that's the whole that's the whole plot is what if you had to have social interactions? 